never fails us it never falters you are a good God and you have been so so faithful in our lives you've carried us you've picked us up you've given us strength we didn't know we had but thank you Lord whether we're in the mountaintop or the valley you've been with us and you've been good and your faithfulness endureth forever 
We praise you and we honor you. Now, Lord, speak to us this morning. Teach us your will and your ways. Help us to take your word and apply it to the now of our life. That we might live it out and walk in a greater measure of faith and victory. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, good morning. So good to see everybody out this morning. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 2 Kings, the second chapter. We want to finish up a, a series about three months now. We've been preaching sermons from the life of the prophet Elijah. And well, Elijah is going to pass from the scene and he's going to hand off that ministry. And we want to finish up together, talk about that double portion, the picking up and the receiving of the mantle. But looking at 2 Kings, starting with verse number 1, the second chapter of 2 Kings. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel, and the company of the prophets of Bethel came out, and they said to Elisha, Don't you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? And he said, Yes, I know it, but I don't want to talk about it. Verse 4, Then Elijah said, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went on to Jericho. Now the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know, don't you know the Lord is going to take your master from you today? I know what he said. I don't want to talk about it. And then Elijah said, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan River. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them walked on together. Now, fifty men of the company of the prophets went out and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. And Elijah took the cloak, the mantle. He rolled it up and he struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left. And the two men walked across on dry ground. And when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? The young man said, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared, separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Now Elisha saw this and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot and the horses of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. But then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. And he picked up the cloak, the mantle that had fallen from Elijah, and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan River. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him, and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he struck it, the water divided to the right and the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went out to meet him. Talk about that double portion. You know, it's very important in every sermon, but especially in sermons like this that have so many different aspects and points to it, 
that we say, Lord, help me to apply this to the now of my existence. Help me to apply this because we got people from different generations. Might have a different take for you as a today than it would have 30 years ago. And the same thing with the younger generation. So let's ask God to really help us to apply this word to the now. But there's going to be a lot of different points. And doesn't do us any good to hear God's word and not know how to apply it to our lives. It's not about just knowing facts, but it's understanding what God has spoken and how I'm to live it out in my life. Can you say amen? We pray, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that there is a double portion. There is more of your Holy Spirit that you will grant to any of your children that seek it. Power to live this life. Power to walk upright before you. Power to do the things you've called each one of us to do. Now, Lord, teach us from the example of Elisha how this young man lived and how he paid that price that he could enter into his high call because each one of us wants to do the same thing in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, again, we finish up this series of sermons from the life of the prophet Elijah. This last sermon, there's a handing off and there's a, a passing on of the mantle of the prophetic ministry. Elijah is doing the passing. Elisha is picking up the mantle again. It represents that anointing, that prophetic office, the ministry of Elijah. He's advancing it. The young man's entering into it. God's workers are seasonal. God's workers are generational. But God's work marches on. That's very important. Never get too hung up on the servants. Keep your eye on the Savior. Servants come and servants go. But the Savior reigns forever and forever. And He has said, I am building my church. It's Jesus' church. He purchased it. He's the head of it. And He said, I'm building my church and I'm advancing my kingdom and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. They can't hinder it. God's church is marching on and you're part of that church. You are the vessels God uses to extend His influence and carry His gospel to every nation and every kindred. Can you say amen? Nothing. We'll stop the advancement of Jesus' church and you and I are part of that church. Now, if we want to be part of what God's doing in the now, let's learn some important lessons from Elijah's receiving of God's mantle and how he was able to take God's power to his generation. We need to do that. We need to um, take it forward. Uh, people can't just coast in the things of God. This story illustrates many things. One thing it illustrates to us, the battle continues. The battle continues. One mighty victory, one glorious ministry, or one mighty outpouring and revival of the Spirit doesn't usher in the, to us into the millennium. But until Jesus returns, we must be about the works of God. We must continue to do what God has called us to do. And this story shows us that between the faithful of each generation, there is a passing on, there is a picking up, there is an imparting, there is a receiving. Younger generation, you got to get hungry for this stuff. Uh, younger generation, it won't just fall on you like, like a ripe apple falling off a tree. You got to pursue God. You got to desire more of God and you got to be willing to pay the price to receive from God. You can have it if you want it, but don't be an observer. Be a participant of what God is doing. Let me read to you something that David Wilkerson wrote many years ago on this subject. He writes about this story. The events in this chapter are absolutely incredible. Yet, what does this passage have to say to us today? 
I believe God has given us an unmistakable lesson here with a clear and simple meaning. God wants to do greater things which with each successive generation. And each new generation must seek the Lord for its own experience of the Holy Spirit, its own endowment of power from on high. We cannot live off a second-hand experience. We must not be satisfied with the mere memory of yesteryear, of what happened yesterday. Within the story, Wilkinson writes, we see Elijah, a man just like us. He lived an incredible life and he made a mighty mark for God with that life. In the darkest of the darkest days of Israel's history, God used him, one willing, surrendered, one dedicated life. And oh, how God used him. And friend, he'll use you and he'll use you. He'll use your life if you'll make yourself available to him. And let there be no rival in your heart for Jesus' affection. And let God use you. He'll bless you. He'll anoint you and you will be an instrument in the hand of your God. Elijah was a man that appeared suddenly. We remember that way back in 1 Kings 17. I don't know where he comes. Nobody knows where he came from. What was his background? Boom! He appears on the stage of Scripture and he confronts the wicked king. And now he's going to disappear just as suddenly. And we just read that. All of a sudden, suddenly, the horsemen of Israel, the fiery chariots, the whirlwind, Elijah is going, but the mission must continue. Certain people go, but the mission must be carried on. There are more souls that need to be saved. There are more lives that need to be set free. There are more broken hearts that need to be healed. There are so many more men and women that have lost hope and they're looking for peace and satisfaction and fulfillment and crazy things and dangerous things and deadly things. And they need to hear the truth of the Gospel. They need to hear about a great God and a loving Savior that said, Whosoever will, you can come and I'll receive you and I'll forgive you and I'll make you what you were created to be. But oh, it takes a generation that says, Here am I. Send me, Lord. Here am I. I recognize what happened happened in the past and I'm thankful for the men and women that paid the price of yesterday but I live today and I offer myself to the master to use my life to touch my world with your grace and your power Elijah the mission must be carried on so God he chooses another and for approximately 10 years Elisha serves Elijah he's being trained he's being tested he's being prepared Last week we spoke about the beginning of the receiving of the mantle. We talked about how we walk with God and the process of being prepared to be used of God. And there's the proving or the testing. There's the preparing or the instruction. Then the positioning and Lord willing, there's the promoting. He's proven. He's prepared. He's positioned and placed strategically as he walks with God and obeys God. And then as the time comes, he's promoted and used of God. The time comes when Elijah is being taken up into heaven 
And as we study these two men, their final days together, we can learn much about receiving that double portion that God has for our lives. The double portion, that greater measure of God's Spirit to empower you and I to live this life, to do the works God's called us to do. There is a greater measure of God's Holy Spirit. There is greater depths of the Spirit of God that we can all tap into that we need if we're going to do what God's called us to. Life requires fresh fillings. This life and the fight of faith that each one of us face, it requires a fresh filling and strength from God on high. So though we're all called to do different things and walk different paths and fight different giants, one thing is certain. It will demand the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in us, upon us, and through us if we're really going to live this life the way God wants us to. There's more of God for everyone that wants it, and that's an exciting thing. So we're going to break down our verses into three simple parts, and hopefully we get to cover them all this morning. Number one, we're going to talk about tracing the stops, tracing the stops. Then we're going to look at the testing of the servant, and then finally the transferring of the Spirit, the tracing of the stops, the testing of the servant, and then finally the transferring of the Spirit. Tracing the stops. Verses 1 through 6, from place to place, Elisha wouldn't leave. Elijah spends his final days touching the next generation. He spends time, and we can call this um, students in significance. Students in significance. He spends his last days investing and parting encouraging the students at the various schools to the prophet, the various Bible schools. He visits three places, and each place has a school. He's passing it on. He's passing it on. He's passing it on. He, he, he's not, he doesn't feel awkward being with the other generation. He's very comfortable with the young men. And he's passing it on. And they're receiving from him. students, more than students, these places also have significance. Remember, Elisha is with him. He refuses to leave. And as they walk on together, God allows them to fulfill at least three purposes here. Number one, they take advantage of the present. To the very end, you see the prophet of God teaching and training and testing and passing on the Spirit of God. These two men represent to you and I different generations, different personalities, yet they were able to walk together in God and there is a transfer of Spirit. Now this is how it should be. I'll say it again. Here are two men of two very different generations, two very different personalities, but they're able to walk together in God and there is a passing on. This is how it should be where the generations can feed off one another and learn from one another. This is what family is all about. We see it here. They take advantage of the present and then they prepare for the future. He's being responsible here as he goes from each school. He visits the schools. He puts things in order. He gives final words. My friend, never let the phrase, I'm trusting God, be an excuse for irresponsibility. Let me say that again. I hear that. Sometimes it's an excuse because we don't want to face what I'm facing and make the proper choices God would have me to make. And so we stick our head in the sand, but that's not faith. That's cowardice in a certain way. Trusting God should never be an excuse for irresponsibility. Saints of God, prepare for your future. Saints of God, I'll say it again, good stewards prepare for their future. You won't be here forever and neither will I. Prepare for your future. 
It's the will of God that you don't stick your head in the sand, but you recognize it's appointed for a man one time to die. And then comes the judgment. But we're still required to leave those that come after us in the best possible shape we can. So we see it again, the prophet of God. They're not just taking advantage of the present. They're preparing for the future. And lastly, they are reviewing the past. The significance of these places, even more than being together, each place had a significant story to tell in Israel's history. Each place they stopped was an important place in the history of Israel. And so with each stop, there was a significance of a message and a meaning. Verse 1, for instance, was Gilgal. They stopped at Gilgal. Now, this was the first place Israel stopped when they came into the Promised Land. This we see back in the book of Joshua. It's the first place they crossed the Jordan and they come to Gilgal. This was the place where the new generation that was not circumcised in the wilderness, they were circumcised. It was a place of a new beginning. This is where God said, I roll away the approach of Egypt. The past was gone. It was a place of new beginnings. Gilgal was the place of a new beginning. Elijah wants his successor to remember that. He wants him to remember that each new generation is an opportunity for God to raise up new leaders, to raise up new preachers, to raise up new soldiers and servants for the cause of Christ. He wants him to recognize Gilgal speaks of new beginnings. It's time that God desires to do a new things and new lives that are yielded to Him. And you can be part of that. Gilgal is a place of new beginnings. It's a place of fresh starts. It's a place where if you want to be used of God, it starts out by knowing that you know that you are saved. It starts out by knowing you've given your life to Christ sincerely and completely. It starts with being born again. If you want God to use you, if you want to find the purpose and fulfillment that the Creator has put within your heart, the destiny that beats within thy breast, then you must start out with a fresh altar of consecration and devotion to Christ. Gilgal is a place of new beginnings and you can have a new start today. You might be here listening. At one time you loved God. At one time you were all out for God, but things got in the way. Things caused confusion. You drifted. You stumbled. I've got good news, you can have a fresh beginning today. You can come to Christ today. He'll forgive you. He'll give you a new beginning today. It's your day of new beginnings. Gilgal, it's time for God to have a fresh work in your life. Oh, that's Gilgal. Then it's on to Bethel. Didn't want to stay at Gilgal. Around the Bethel we go. Verses 2 and 3. Now Bethel, that's a place where God made Himself known to Jacob. It's that place where Abraham worshipped. Bethel means the house of God. Bethel had a great spiritual heritage. But now, it's been corrupted by terrible idolatry. There's rebellion. The present generation, they're mockingly, openly mocking the Word of God and the prophet of God. There's a message here in Bethel. You will face an overwhelming immoral society. And it will demand a double portion of God's power to penetrate it, to affect it, and to overcome it. This is where many of the Elishas back out thinking, can I make a difference here? People are so hard. They're so indifferent. They're so callous. They're so lost. Can I make a difference here? 
But God says to His people, you can, you can, when you receive your endowment of power from on high. You can make the difference by the power of God's Spirit through the authority of God's Word. People look and they get overwhelmed. Can I do anything in this world? They're so lost. They're so out of touch. They're so whacked out. The government is insane. What's going on? And sometimes they just want to shrink back into their, their little cubby holes of religion. But God says, by my Spirit, you can make a difference in your life and in your world and in your generation. When you get a double portion of God's power upon you, you'll be able to do more than penetrate the darkness. You'll prevail and overcome the darkness. You'll rescue lost souls out of the darkness. Oh, glory be to God forevermore. Bethel reminds us it is a real spiritual warfare and battle that we are facing. Let's admit that. Don't be surprised by that. The devil is like a roaring lion. This world is a fallen world. Don't be surprised by the fact people are whacked out. They're out of touch. Everybody's offended by this. Offended by that. My Lord, have mercy on us. They'll give an award to some old athlete that starts dressing like a woman. They'll call that courage, but then they'll applaud ripping babies out of the wombs. I'm telling you, this world is lost. This world is blind. It's been deceived by the devil. Sin and everything else. So if you're going to do anything in God... Just recognize it's a lost world. It's a spiritually darkened world. But greater is He that's within you than he that's in the world. And you can make a difference. You can make a difference. You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference in your workplace. Tell someone next to you, you can make a difference. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. You can. How? By my Spirit, saith the Lord. Oh, it's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by philosophies of men. It's not by the debating skills of the educated. But by my Spirit, saith the Lord, you can overcome the darkness. You can be the one God has called you to be. Woo! Can you say amen? Hallelujah! And that's why it will demand a double portion to live and labor in the power of God's Spirit being energized with the Spirit of God. We need more than a head knowledge. We need more than this or that. We need to be a double portion people. Gilgal to Bethel on to Jericho. Verse 4 is Jericho. Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. Historical significance, a place of power and victory. This is the site of Joshua's first great victory in the promised land. Remember Jericho, friends. For God can work in your life just like Jericho. The lesson is simply this. The battle is the Lord's battle. And nothing is too hard for our God. How does the servant of the Lord... How do you and I that love the Lord, how do we walk in victory and conquer our land and advance in our land? Why, remember Jericho. Get your orders from the Lord. Obey them by faith no matter how. Walk around a wall? What kind of strategy is that? Get your orders from the Lord. Obey them by faith. And then watch God work His works for you. Friend, because the battle is the Lord's battle, but the obedience belongs to us. You see what I'm getting at? 
And Joshua reminds us our God is able to tear down walls that seem impassable. Our God is able to work in situations that seem incredible, but it'll take an obedient people that trust Him and that'll walk according to that Word. Sometimes that Word doesn't make sense to my emotion. I don't want to forgive them, but God says forgive them and watch how I can work through your obedience. Sometimes it's, Lord, and I want to quit. I don't want to stay anymore. But God says, I haven't told you to run. I've told you to stand and trust me and believe me. And if you'll do that, I'll work on your behalf and I'll cause that mountain to go into the midst of the sea. Somebody, you serve a God that is able to give you the strength and power you need to face whatever you got to face. But He'll give you a word. He'll give you an instruction. He'll give you a promise. And He wants you to obey it. He wants you to believe it. And if you'll just do your part of obeying, He'll do His part of working and ministering and bringing you through. Oh, God. Tracing the stops. Students and significance. Elisha follows. He refuses to settle. That leads us to the testing of the servant. The testing of the servant. When Elisha was called, he promised he would follow. Remember ten years earlier? Now this devotion is being tested. Friend, your devotion will be tested. Somebody listening, you don't got to backslide every other day. The fact is, your devotion will be tested. Just make up your mind. You're going to serve the Lord regardless. In the good times and in the bad. If things work out the way you like or they don't, you're going to love Jesus and hold on to Jesus. You'll praise Him when you don't understand Him. You'll love Him when you can't discern Him. But just make up your mind. As for you and you, you're going to serve the Lord. If no one else does, you're going to love Jesus and serve Him. Somebody say amen. Your devotion will be tested. Our devotion is tested. We can all testify. But you're here. You're loving Him. You're still singing. You're still praising. You're still serving. Your devotion's been tested and you've passed. But the testing of the servant. You see, friend, it's not just how we start, but it's how you finish. There must be a follow-through. There must be a, a finishing, a finisher, if we're going to receive God's best. Did Elisha have the tenacity to march on? And finish his course. Remember this. Elisha passes the test before Elijah passes the mantle. That's important. We like it the other way. It don't work the other way. How many know that? Amen? In this, everybody gets an apple slice generation. Everybody, No, no, no. Don't work that way at all. Elisha's got to pass the test before Elijah passes that mantle. And each step they just made had a historical significance or a lesson for us, but... It was also a place where the young prophet-to-be was being tested along the way. For example, in Gilgal, he's being tested. Gilgal was someplace that was familiar. It was someplace secure. The older prophet says, stay here. God will bless you. Stay here. It's all right. He could have stayed and been blessed. I mean, wasn't that good enough? Isn't it good enough? I'm in a good place. I'm in a comfortable place. Why stretch it out? 
Well, I have to get out on that boat and walk by faith. It's much more comfortable to stay where I'm secure. Oh, I'm talking about somebody that you want more of God. Friend, if you want more of God, God will demand more of you. It'll cost you. Some things got to be laid down. Some parts of you got to be put to death. And new parts of you got to step out trusting God, leaving the place of security, leaving the place of familiarity, and trusting God as you obey that Word and give heed to His command. Gilgal, he was a familiar, secure place. Wasn't it good enough? No, he said, I want all that God has. On to Bethel. At Bethel, he could have been so overwhelmed by the spiritual opposition, the darkness, the backlash. He could have been discouraged by it, intimidated by it. By all the things that he saw, and he could have simply said, not me. It's too much for me. God can't use me. What's the use? It's too much. Or if it's going to cost that much, I'm not sure if it's worth it. Send somebody else. He was tested at Bethel. He tested at Jericho. You know, Jericho means pleasant. Jericho means pleasant, pleasant place. You know, sometimes a pleasant lifestyle can spoil us to a place where it steals our fire and our passion for the mantle of God and for the high call of God. It's what I call the curse of comfort. You know, the curse of comfort can take away the willingness in a person's heart to really sell all out for Christ and sacrifice for the cause of Christ. The call was followed by a decade of very real tests. They were varied. They were many. We all go through them. They're part of God's curriculum. They're part of God's developing His servants. Each one of us goes through various tests as God matures us, as He deepens us, as He polishes us, as He smooths us. Oh, glory be to God. Let's look at some of these tests. Number one, how about the test of affection? The t- God passed the test. God wants, Jesus wants your heart. He's not sharing you with everything else. He's not sharing you with your hobbies. He's not sharing you with your girlfriend. Jesus wants your heart first and foremost. He wants your affection. Let's go back to the very beginning where the older prophet called that younger prophet. We studied this last week. And the younger prophet, he left his family. He left the farm. He left the future and he followed God. It cost him to love God more. It will cost you to love God more. There will be certain costs, temporal costs, but there will be costs to love God and put Jesus first place in one's life. But he made the choice and he loved the Lord more and he followed after God. That's the test of our affections. There's also the test of our sincerity. Was it sincere when he said yes and he burned the plow? Was he sincere? Was he shallow? Was it just an emotional thing that was going to wear off after he got bored or after the real testing began? Many people begin, but they don't finish. But he kept his word. Again, many start, but don't finish. But Elisha said yes to the call of God. And he loved the Lord. He never wavered. And he never looked back. Hebrews talks about a people that if they would have looked back, but they didn't look back. Instead, they kept marching towards a city whose builder and maker is God. Your affections will be tested. And the sincerity of your initial response will be tested. You know that's true. Many of you got saved years and years ago and your family wasn't saved. And it was real when you got saved, but man, it got tested through those early years. 
Your family thought you lost it. Why don't you go to Mass with us anymore? Why don't you drink with us anymore? And oh, there are many times you said, man, if I just compromised a little here and there, it'd be a whole lot easier. But you knew you met Jesus. You knew this thing was real. And you knew there was no turning back. And your initial commitment to Christ will be tested. I've learned through the years that with every season of life, it demands of a person a fresh altar of consecration. Each season has its unique challenges and responsibilities. Each season, things were different when you're 20 than when you're 50. Things are different when you're 16 than when you're 46. Come on, say amen. And each season has a fresh challenge. And it's easy to compromise. It's easy to turn away. But oh, friend, let us never turn back from that initial first love for Jesus. He's been good. He is worth it. Let nothing get in our way of serving Him all of our days with all of our heart. It's a test of will or resolve. Remember Bethel? Prophets came out. Subtle things can cause God's people to shrink back from giving their all. Let's think about this. At Bethel, the prophets say, don't you know he's going to take your servant? He's going to take your master from you? And they begin to they start. He could have been knocked off course by the sons of the prophet. They represent the church. You know, distractions and discouragements come in many different forms. I've seen people that had the call of God talked out of it by a spouse. People that had the call of God started out good, but their family wore them down. Terrible, terrible, terrible. That's my line, so I'm going to talk from that. You can talk from your experience. Distractions and discouragement come in many forms. God tests us like this. You know that. God wants to know. You know, a person can hear from God. And if they're not careful to really fix that thing in their heart and that commitment to it in their heart, well-meaning people can talk them out of pursuing God's best. Well-meaning people can talk them into giving up on that pursuit of God's high call for their lives and instead taking the comfortable, the acceptable, the casual way of Christianity. The test of will or the resolve. Not allowing anything, even the well-meaning things, to keep you from your wholehearted pursuit of God's best for your life. From there we go to the test of patience. This is submitting to God's timetable. You see, friend, God works in the way. Now, Elisha was most likely the oldest son. The farm belonged to him. He was running the thing under his father. He had all those men that he was working for. Certainly after year two or three of pouring water, that gets old and tedious. Making another man's bed, cleaning up after someone else, serving up is not easy. Especially when you were raised to rule. And he could have said somewhere along the way, you know, by this time, Dad's just about done. I'd be running the whole place. And said, here I am, just taking orders from this <laughs> crazy prophet. Oh, God works in the wait. Ten years of pouring water, the process can be long and tedious. And many grow weary during the process of God's development. But keep marching and keep trusting. The Bible says, Hebrews 6 and 12, that through faith and patience, we inherit what God has promised. I like that. 
Here we go, all through Hebrews. Hebrews 6 and 12. We do not want you to become lazy or slothful. They get lethargic about your walk with Christ. But we want you to imitate those who through faith and patience. You see, just faith alone makes you a sprinter. But faith and patience gives you that endurance that you can be a marathon runner. And it's those that can run the marathon are the ones that inherit what has been promised. If you want to inherit what has been promised to you, then you've got to have a spiritual perseverance and endurance to couple with that faith. That's the dynamic duel, faith and patience. The faith to believe God and the patience to endure the process of God's timing and God's dealings until you can really enter into it and fully embrace it and hear the prophet. He passes a test of patience because eight to ten years is a long time for anyone serving another man, especially when you were ruling before and you were running things before. But oh, there's something about allowing God to mold us and shape us. Allowing God to mellow us and, and, and break us so He can use us. And the young prophet passes the test. And then he goes on, number five, to the test of character. It's a good thing when God can test a man or a woman with their desires. It's a good thing. When God asked, what do you want? The prophet says, what would you like? And God was pleased with his answer, kind of like Solomon. And God was pleased with that answer. Again, it's a good thing when God can trust us with our desires. It's a good thing. The test of character. Then the test of the anointing. When he finally gets that mantle, he does something with it. This is called the test of endowment. You, 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 don't, you don't get that, uh, that, that uh, ordination paper put it on a wall, you get it so you can preach. You, you don't get that baptism of the Holy Ghost just so you can say, well, I spoke in tongues one time 30 years ago. You, you get that baptism so you can walk in the power of God and you can do the works of God and you can fulfill the call of God. I'm talking ta- the test of the anointing the gift. He receives the mantle, but then he uses it. Because listen, the gifts and the anointing and the th- good things of God are not trophies. They're tools. We need to put them to work. They're not um, just achievements we mark it off. They're not just things to admire, but they're endowments from God on high that we can use to do His will and to do His works. Every gift we have, every ability you have, every opportunity you have, every anointing you have is to be used for the glory of God. Not just put somewhere, not just so we can check it off the list, but so that we have a greater endowment and enablement by the Spirit of God to live this life and to do the works God's called us to do. Somebody say Amen. 1 Peter 4 and 10. 1 Peter 4 and 10. We looked at this, I think, Wednesday night. Each one, each one, every one of you that is born again, every one that you are saved, you have been given an endowment of the Spirit of God. You have been given a gift. You've been given a talent. You've been given an ability. Each one should use it. Underline that word, use it. It's not to talk about. It's not just to say, I got it. It's to put it to work for the glory of God. It's to exercise that thing. Stir it up for the glory of God. Every opportunity, use it. Step out and let that anointing flow. Step out and let that gift bloom. Each one should use whatever gift. We all have different gifts. We're all made to do different things. Know what you have and use what you got. Can you say amen? Each one should use whatever gift he has received. God has given it. We have received it. And we're to use it to bless others, to minister to others, to touch others. Um, 
faithfully administering or releasing God's grace in its various expressions and forms. The test of the anointing. Why should God anoint some people? Why should God give someone a gift? What would you do with it if you got it? Woo! My Lord, have mercy. Oh, man. Come on, give me an amen, somebody. Let the people at home know you're awake. Glory to God. They awake. Transferring of the Spirit. Number three, the transferring of the Spirit. Three points under this last major heading. It starts with verse 9. And we see a bold question, and I think an even bolder answer. <laughs> what do you want me to do for you? He said, I want a double portion of what I've seen in your life. Woo! Yeah, that's a bold question. That's a bold answer. Mm. Elisha could be trusted with the question. And it's a good thing when God can trust us with our desires. Mm. Number nine, Elijah's response. What a beautiful response. But then Elijah lets them know, listen, that's a good response, but it's not an easy response. We're going to say it again. We, we pressed this last week. The things of God are not toys. The things of God are not cheap. They're not novelties. There's a price to pay to press into the greater things of God. That's why you don't see it nearly as much as people don't want to pay the price. But there is a price to pay. And the older prophet said, you've asked a hard thing. You've asked not a simple thing. What you want will demand. What you want will demand. So anyway, Eli, Elisha, he responds to his mentor. And he says, I have a desire. I want a double portion so I can do what God's called me to do. Again, let me quote Brother Wilkerson. He writes, he knew he couldn't do the job until he received his own touch from God. He couldn't rely on Elijah's great works or what he had seen Elijah do and what he had witnessed in the life of his mentor. He, he knew he couldn't just settle. He knew he couldn't just settle on those things. But he needed his own touch from God. Everyone within the sound of my voice. We all need our own touch from God. More than I've seen others. More than I reckon. But we all have our own battles to fight. We all have our own giants to slay. We all have our own barriers to overcome. And each one of us that calls on the name of Jesus, we need our own touch from God. We need our own anointing from God. Because we got to fight our own battles from God. Can you say amen? For anything less than more of the spirit of his mentor had, he couldn't settle for anything less. He was telling Elijah, I respect the faith of my forefathers. I respect the spiritual giants of the past. But I know the Lord wants to do a new thing. Rather, God wants to do a now thing. A now thing. And therefore, I must have my own touch from God. you got to have your own touch from God. But somebody, if you'll seek after Him, you can get it. If you'll pursue Him with all your heart, you can get it. If you'll seek you first the kingdom and get in that Word and let Him fill you fresh, you can have it and you can walk in it. For the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within the life of every believer. And we can stir it up and work it up and move with it in our lives. 
The young prophet says, I know God wants to do a now thing. And I know that demands that I have my own touch from God. Let me tell you, friends, the Lord does desire to do some fresh and mighty works in and through the lives of His people, through your life, through my life, in the now. Somebody in the now. He wants to heal broken hearts in the now. He wants to destroy that cancer and drive it out by His Spirit. Even now, He wants to fill someone afresh with the Holy Ghost. Even now, He wants that bondage of pornography to be loose from your head, to be free from that oppression. Even now, He wants that marriage to be healed. Even now, He wants that wall to come crumbling down. Even now, He wants the lost and the stray to find their way back to the Savior. Find their way back to God's house. Find their way back to loving the Lord and living like they're supposed to live. Even now, God desires to do mighty works in the earth, but He needs the human instrument. He needs His sons and His daughters to say, Here I am. Use me, Lord. Give me that anointing. Entrust to me that gifting, and I'll use it for your glory. I'll declare your word. I'll pray in your name. I'll make the stand that only I can make with a double portion anointing. Oh my. Even now, God wants us to write our own chapter of exploits. That's why we must be a praying people and a holy people, a devoted people. A people that remain strong and filled with the power in the Spirit of God. Wants to set lives free. That demonic opioid thing. God wants to set you free. He wants to drive that hold off of you. Break the snare of the enemy over you. Jesus is able to set you free from that opioid addiction. That devil is a liar. That devil is a liar. Jesus is greater than the opioid addiction. Jesus is greater than alcoholism. Jesus can break any bondage. He can break any chain. Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive. And He loves you. And He'll touch you. He'll heal you. He'll free you. Today is your day for a miracle. Today is your day. Throw those pills away and let Christ set you free. Throw that addiction away and let Jesus make you what you were called to be. Desire to set lives free. And I'll tell you what, like He divided those waters for that old prophet, He wants to divide the waters that are in your way from advancing in God and doing what God has called you to do. The transferring of the Spirit. Number one, verse nine, we'll give it the word desire. Desire. What do you want? I want a double portion. You gotta want this. You know, some don't want much of God. You can tell by their attendance. No, no, I mean, it's be real. It gotta be real every now and again. Sometimes people talk. You know what I used to tell them? Back in my day when I wasn't so polished. I said, just show me your calendar and your checkbook and I'll tell you where you stand. Don't tell me any stories. Proof's in the pudding. Show me your calendar. Show me your checkbook. And I'll show you who you serve. Where do you spend your time? Where do you give your treasure? Who? We say amen, we say ouch. But man, it was right. We start out with number one, it's desire. To enter into this double portion, to enter into a greater endowment of God's presence and power in one's life. You've got to want it. That's a biblical principle. The old man says, what do you want? 
Do you really want it? Will you pursue it? Are you willing to pay the price for it? Notice now the young man, he doesn't ask for an easier road. He doesn't ask for bigger toys. He doesn't ask for selfish things. He desires that which will help him do God's will. And so I speak to someone today and you hear things about the double portion and a fresh filling of the Spirit. And in your mind, you got some crazy thought. You're going to act like someone that acts strange and gets overly emotional. Not at all. The things of God are not, not foolish things. The things of God are not embarrassing things. We're talking the power of God's Spirit that enables you to live this life better than you've ever lived it before. And each one of us faces hell all by ourselves. Each family goes through bad doctor's reports. Each family goes through things that, that challenge and struggle. We all go through things. And the Bible says, not by might or power, by God's Spirit we overcome. It's by His Spirit. So we talk about being filled afresh with the Spirit. We're not talking about acting weird. We're not talking about somehow having some kind of emotional encounter. Good Lord, if, you, if God wants to have an encounter, that's great. Knock yourself out. It's more than that. It's not that cheap. This is something real and genuine. This is something you'll see in the difference in the life you live. And you're able to answer the questions. You're able to overcome the negative impulses. You're able to stand firm. You're able to do what you hadn't done in yourself. The Spirit of God enables the Christian to live the life and to glorify Jesus. He gives us greater strength. He gives us greater wisdom. He gives us a greater ability to walk and talk and think in the Spirit. To exercise the fruit of the Spirit. Not just the gifts of the Spirit. Oh, friend, don't ever think in your mind that somehow fresh fillings and double portions are just crazy things that they do under the tent when it's camp meeting and everyone acts excessive and emotional. No, no, no. This is that thing. You'll start talking sweet to your wife instead of being ugly twice a week. Oh, I feel like I'm under a tent. But I'm just telling you, sometimes we talk about the things of spirit. First thing we want to think about some excessive person that kind of acts weird. As if that's God. Well, people get emotional, but don't equate it. You shall receive power so you can live this life. You can overcome those scars from your past that still are chains around your thinking and around your emotions. So you can face the ugly thing you've got to face in this coming week. But have a peace that you never believed existed. What happened? More of the Spirit. When you get more of the Holy Ghost, you'll get more of the peace of God. You'll get more of the wisdom of God. And you say, Amen. You'll get more of the ability to handle things like Jesus handled things and not revert back to that old nature. So just because you've seen some people act a little strange, don't you dare get a false understanding and definition of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is and what fresh fillings of the Holy Spirit are all about. We need fresh fillings. The Bible teaches us. It's not a one-time deal, but stay filled. Get fresh feelings. The life we live demands it. This fight of faith that we all fight demands it. Can you say amen? The very fact that we live in a fallen world and we're fallen creatures in this old temple going back to dust. Everything about this life demands. I need the help from God. One of the greatest ways I get that help is fresh feelings. I get filled with the Spirit. I stay strong in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit helps me to live as Jesus would have me to live. and gives me a greater grace to live it spiritually, not reverting back to the old me. You see, it's that old nature that fears. It's not that spiritual man. It's that old nature that complains. not that spiritual man. It's that old nature that's critical and despairing and inconsistent. Oh, no, not that new man. 
That new man's faithful. That new man knows peace and wisdom. That new man knows how to trust God in the midst of the storm. My Lord, my Lord, at midnight, when you're in that prison place, that new man knows how to sing praises unto God through it all. Can you say amen? Woo! All right, I got to close this up. Desire. You got to want this. The Bible says that God is a rewarder, a rewarder of them that diligently, diligently seek Him. Not casual. There's a diligence. There's an effort in seeking God. You've got to want it. Jesus said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You've got to thirst. Amen? You've got to thirst. The, the prophet Jeremiah said, if, if you seek me, if, if you and search for me with all your heart, then you'll find me. God says, you'll find me, but it won't come by being lazy about it. You got to open up that book and do your devotions. God said, I'll let you find me. Amen. You got to spend a little time. You don't need to watch the news seven times a week, seven times a day. I mean, that's crazy. Open up that Bible. Let God talk to you just a little bit. Amen. Talk to the Lord. He says, I'll let you find me. God's not playing hide and seek. If he wanted to hide, none of us could find him. He wants to be found. But he tells us it'll take a bit of effort on your part. This is a precious thing to commune with the living God. Desire. You gotta want it. Detachment. Before he picks up that old mantle, he tears off his. New season demands a new separation and a new consecration. We got some people that want a new anointing with God, living the same consecration level they had. It don't work that way. You want more of God, he wants more of you. He detached, he separated, he took off the old so he could put on the new. If you're going to press into a new place in God, there'll be something of you that has to be laid aside. There'll be something of you so you can pick up more of him. What did the prophet say? That I must decrease so he might increase. I'm down here, but I'll keep going another 30 minutes. I get back to those notes. There's a desire. There's got to be a detachment. Detach yourself from any person. Any plan any that hinders you from going all after God. Desire detachment. And then the decision that once he got a hold of this, he went right back and he put it to work. Where now is the Lord God of Elijah? Bam! Don't seek God just so you can say, I had an encounter with God. Seek God so God can use you and you can do what God's called you to do. This is not just to have experiences. This is so we can walk with God and be His salt and His light and carry on His gospel to a hurting world. All right, we're going to close now. We said in the beginning that when we face any sermon, but especially a sermon that has different generations and various points, we need to pray, Lord, help me to apply this to me. Because we're all different places. You heard this sermon 20 years ago. It might have had a different take from where you're at than where you are now. That's how it is. But one thing we can all be assured of, no matter who you are, no matter where you are with God or what generation you represent, we all need a fresh filling of the Spirit. The appointments you have this week demanded. The battles we all face demanded. And life exerts us. The fight of faith, we, we exert ourselves. That's why we're taught to come and get filled again. It's a Bible pattern. 
So I'm going to close down and we're going to pray and just ask God for a fresh filling. Whoever you are, we all need it. Wherever we're at in God, we all need it. You might be facing a doctor's report. You might be going to court. You might be taking on a new job. You might have finally made up your mind you're going to press deeper into God than ever before. Whatever you are, whatever the situation, we all need a fresh drink from the river of life. Amen? So go ahead and let's look to God. I'm going to pray the prayer. Just ask God to fill you fresh. A fresh filling for a fresh week so that we can live it victoriously in the Lord. Amen? All right, bow your hearts and just look to the Lord. Ask Him to fill you. Ask Him to fill you. Life demands it. Life demands it. Father, in the name of Jesus, please fill us afresh with Your Holy Spirit. Lord, we love You. We're saved. We know we have the Spirit, but the Bible teaches us to drink from that river. The Bible teaches us to stay filled, to get fresh fillings, fresh empowerment so we can live the life and continue to walk with You and overcome in Your name. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, Lord, as Your people look to You, grant them fresh fillings of the Holy Ghost. Right now, Father God, fill them. Fill them afresh. Let them sense a new strength, a new peace, a new joy. Give each one of them a new wisdom, a new confidence as they walk and fight this fight of faith. Father God, grant to every spiritually thirsty believer more spiritual life, more spiritual wisdom, more spiritual revelation, more spiritual power to go forward, to grow, to mature. To do the works you called us to do, to serve you and to know you and to live for you. And now, Father, we just pray. Let this be a week where we recognize the freshness of your spirit and the quickening, the new quickening of strength to live this life. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. God bless you. Have a great week and we'll see you on Wednesday.